Premier Christian Newscast. Men have dressed up as women for thousands of years, probably for as long as we've had distinguishably female attire, if we're honest. But as you've probably noticed, drag is having a particular moment right now. Drag races are primetime TV fodder, and drag artists are everywhere in popular culture. And the church is no different. In recent months, a worship song by a Christian drag queen has shot to the top of the iTunes Christian charts, while the Christian festival staple Greenbelt is preparing to host an array of drag events at this summer's annual gathering. Some have welcomed this, hailing it as a step towards better inclusion in the church and a joyful way to raise questions about gender stereotypes. Others have been horrified by the intrusion of what they see as hypersexualized caricatures into worship spaces. I'm Tim Wyatt, and this week on Premier Christian Newscast, we're diving into the debate around drag and faith to try and tease out what people object to and what others love about it. Is it degrading or liberating? Is it provocative or playful? Can drag be spiritual or is it only ever bawdy? We're joined by a Christian drag queen and a veteran writer to talk it all out. Well, hello, Mike. Hi, Elijah. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, could I start by asking you guys to briefly introduce yourselves? Um, Elijah, why don't you go first? Ooh, first off, the first cab off the rank. Um, <laughs> yes, my name is Elijah Kinney. I am a drag artist in central London, which I've been doing for the past 13 years. Uh, the stage name is Barbara. Um, started off as many other different things, but it's now amalgamated just to just to Barbara, like Adele. She's only got one name, and I also <laughs> or Madonna, exactly. Yeah, same standard, same level, obviously, um, same amount of clothing, and uh, and on top of that, I work for St James's Church Piccadilly as a production officer. Um, I've been there for now four years. Started off as pastoral assistant, um, and now I am doing mostly production and events there. And could you tell us a little bit about some of the, I think it's called Preach, the, the drag nights that you've been, you've been involved in at St. James's? Yes, well, St. James's is, is on the edge of Soho. So a lot of our parishioners are all um, in the LGBTQ uh, sector, the alphabet mafia, as I like to call them. Um, and, uh, and so we've had a number of events there at the church that have featured drag. Uh, we've done cabarets there before, but most recently we did a, um, an event called Preach, which hosted, I was the host of that evening. Uh, and we had some of the Drag Race UK stars on it, as well as some local queens as well. Um, and it was an amazing evening. We had the whole church was filled with people that have never been there before or uh, would have not normally donned the the, foot, uh, the doorstep of a church, um, which was amazing to see. And it was a it was a great event. Awesome. Uh, Mike, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I started off as a radio journalist. I worked as a reporter in commercial radio for a number of years. Uh, in my late 20s, I had a very serious car accident, a near-fatal car accident, and that led to a big uh, change of direction for me, and I became a vicar. And so I spent 20 years as a vicar in various parts of London, from the inner city through to posh 
suburbs. And my last full-time church job was as a head of church growth in Manchester. So I spent the last 10 years in Manchester. Hmm. Um, my main thing that I do these days is that I'm a writer. And one of my projects is a blog. And I recently wrote an article on Dragon, the church, because I saw a whole lot of uh, well, to me, unexpected appearances of drag in lots of places I hadn't expected to see drag. And that was fascinating. I became very interested in that. And so I wrote an article on it on my own website. And that remained fairly quiet for about a week. And then it was taken up by another website, a more popular website. And uh, then it kind of exploded really and not exactly went viral but it got a much bigger audience uh, to people who agreed with it and lots of people who didn't agree with it and so it's become part of a big debate now in the church on drag which I think is a I think it raises lots of interesting issues as well as being interesting in its own right. Yeah absolutely and that's why we're having this conversation now because I think again it's a really fascinating topic that people clearly raises kind of strong feelings, I think, in some people on both sides. Um, But I'd love to kind of put the culture to one side and actually talk about it intelligently and thoughtfully and pastorally and sensitively. Um, uh, One of the other things that that you mentioned in your article, Mike, is is kind of having, as you say, having maybe a moment is was the the interesting story that came out of the States about uh, the drag act Flamey Grant who is um who's who's got a, a Christian worship song that's got to a number one in the iTunes charts. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um yeah, that was the first thing that grabbed my attention. Even before I'd heard about the drag events at Greenbelt, I read the reports in the American music press about uh this uh drag queen called uh, Fla- whose stage name is Flamey Grant, uh, somebody whose background is as a more mainstream kind of worship leader, and has teamed up with uh, Derek Webb, the former vocalist of Cademan's Call, a Christian band. And there's a whole thing going on there about um, inclusion and about uh, identity. And so that's become quite big in the States. And and at the same time, Greenbelt, I think for the first time, is is doing a number of drag events, which Elijah can tell us more about. And there have been a number of other things uh, that have been in the news very recently. Um, in, you know, the mainstream news, like um, uh, the, the drag queen appearing on, um, you know, the, the cookery program and stuff like that. So, so there's a wider conversation uh, as well as in the Christian world. Hmm. Yeah, Elijah, do you want to tell us a bit more about what's going on at Greenbelt and, and how that fits into this conversation? Uh, yes. Um, so uh, Greenbelt, as, as um, some people may know, is a large Christian festival happening outside Kettering. Uh, it's actually coming up, I think it's next, next weekend. Um, and in the past, they have had drag artists there doing a number of different um, shows or different activities. Uh, and this year that we've uh, there's even more and for the first time this year I'm performing there I've I've been asked to do a number of different things including um, I'm doing a games night while I'm there I'm doing there's a larger show that is happening that is featuring just drags so we've got Kitty Scott Claus there um, who's a famous drag race artist um, this kind of did come off slightly off the back of Preach at St. James's that's where I was um, uh, connected to them via the producers at Greenbelt uh, and then on top of that, we're doing, I'm doing a talk that I have given around different institutions in the UK called Drag the History of Transvesticism, which is more of just an educational talk about um, the history and etymology of 
where all of that comes from. Uh, and it's, um, it's amazing to see kind of the, the uptake there. And uh, there's certainly a market for it there, apparently. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how much comes of it, really. Hmm. I guess that's the kind of setup about kind of what's happening and, and an intersection that's increasingly occurring between the Christian world and the drag world. I guess a lot of our listeners might have never really put, thought about this question before and might be a little bit confused. And in their minds, drag is something which is kind of playful, provocative. It's it's something that you do in, in the evenings, in, in bars and things. And they might think, why on earth? What does this, what does this have to do with faith at all? What, what was your kind of initial response to people who just don't understand what these two worlds have anything to do with each other? I think it's one is the, the, the fact that before, I'd say, 10 years ago, drag was very much a subculture. So people would have not really heard of it very much. Let's not get confused. This has been around since the dawn of humanity. However, it, uh, it, we, the rise of popularity in, in culture has certainly come in the past decade where um, it's been more mainstream. It's It's gotten television, obviously in the likes of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is a, a hit phenomena show. Um, and so therefore, like like anything, when it, when when something comes into the light more, when people are seeing it more, when people are having to interact with something more, then those questions naturally start to form, especially because you will see it will, it, it comes into places that it never would have been allowed to come into before. Um, so, so because of that, then naturally people start thinking about it and it, it garners press and attraction. Hmm. And Mike, you you um, were kind of exploring a few different ideas and kind of Christian thinking around around drag in your in your article. One thing again that I think a lot of people will immediately be thinking about or worried about is that isn't drag kind of inevitably and unavoidably a kind of a sexualized performance art, and therefore always inappropriate to kind of merge that with with spirituality? What, what was your what would your take on that line of thinking be? Um, I think part of the background for me is that. I'd not thought very much about drag before the last year or two. Um, it reminds me of when I was in my 20s and my sister became a fashion model. And that suddenly raised lots of interesting questions because it was like, oh, what are, what are the meanings of fashion? What are the adornment and all of that? So I suddenly had to start thinking rapidly about how I responded to that. And it's been a little bit like that for me with drag. And I can give a few examples if if you're interested on the whole why I have some concerns around the sexualization, But I wonder if it might help if I just very briefly summarise the kind of view that I feel I've come to. And I hope I'm open to conversation on this. But uh, where I've come to is this. I, I, I remember when I was aged nine or ten, um, I bought my first single, a uh, 45 RPM single. It was T-Rex's Metal Guru. Uh, and I don't think the song was his best song, Mark Boland's best song, but I was fascinated by Mark Boland's image, a man with, with long hair and makeup and glitter and an obviously effeminate manner. And I've always been interested in gender nonconformity. I did French at university and used to go to Versailles. And I love the films about 18th century um, dressing up and all of that. So the whole idea of gender nonconformity, I find really interesting. And I, I don't have a problem with that. So uh, the idea that men can be anything from super macho to uh, very effeminate, I think is fine. Women can be butch or girly or, you know, whatever, I think is fine. But I think for me, uh, gender nonconformity needs to be within a framework of of two sexes. 
I'm an embodied human being and my, my body is who I am. And so within there being two sexes, I think there's a lot of freedom for gender nonconformity within my sex. So I think that means for me, there are two main views that I'm uneasy with. One is the idea that there are real men and real women. Uh, real men should only be kind of macho, wear short back and sides, and women should only be demure with long hair. Um, and of course, that's the view of some conservative Christian groups. Uh, and it seems to me that deals in rigid stereotypes. And, and I don't agree with that. But also, I do have, um, I'm, I feel uneasy with drag, because it seems to me that's different from gender nonconformity. It feels to me more like a kind of cultural appropriation, uh, which feels to me more like a sexualized caricature of somebody else's embodied identity. And obviously, in the case of drag queens, it feels very like a sexualized caricature of a woman uh, performed by a man. And so this whole question of um, whether it's actually parodying a female identity, for me, that's that's problematic. Hmm. Well, I guess I've got to come to Elijah then, put some of that to you. When, when you are Barbara, do you feel like you're kind of parodying or, or mocking women in any sense? Uh, oh, gosh, there's a, there's a million different things I could say here. Um, uh, no. Should we just leave it at that? No. I'll, I'll go into it more. Um, well, first of all, I'm in hip pads, a breastplate, I'm in a corset, I'm in a wig, I'm in three pounds of makeup, I'm in stilettos that are 10-inch heel height. There feels like there's absolute, and while I'm in it, there feels like there's absolutely nothing um, sexy at all about what I'm doing. Um, I just can't wait to get out of it, basically. Um, and I, I have to be clear here for one thing, is that I am speaking out of my own perspective, you know, this is a little bit like asking one actor about the whole field of acting. It's, it, you know, it, uh, there may be people that disagree with me on this, but from my perspective um, and from what I do, um, there, there, I'm not going to lie to you, there's, there's a whole range of what I do. Sometimes there is something that's more performative and sensual, we'll put it that way. Um, there's other times when there's absolutely nothing um, sensual about what I do. Again, it's, I, I have to kind of equate it a little bit to like acting. It's, it's pretending to be something, um, to fit a certain role and in, in what I'm called to do on that evening. Um, but there's nothing from my, from what I do, there's nothing kind of grotesquely, um, sexualizing about what I do. And I know most drag artists would probably be the same. I know, the majority of drag artists within central London. And um, I don't think, and I've seen all their performances countless times. Um, and there's, there's nothing that I can say to, to that other than that knows sexual, the sexualizing of women isn't there. Um, it's, uh, can I just ask quickly, have either of you been to a drag show? Uh, uh, other than potentially a, a Butlins thing when I was a teenager, which was very half-hearted. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. Um, I mean, when I knew 
that I was going to be writing on on drag, I thought, oh my goodness, I really need to find out, you know, more about this. So I went to drag night at the Clapham Grand the other uh, the other evening. Uh, so that was that was interesting, um, and uh, I've been watching more episodes of Drag Race and and a few other things. And I think for me, actually being uh, immersed in that world did reinforce my concern. So you know, just to give you one or two examples. Um, when I went to the Clapham Grand the the other night, uh, the the main uh, performer was was Jimbo uh the the drag clown <laughs> Jimbo, yeah. and the whole the whole act was Jimbo stripping uh revealing enormous fake breasts filled with cream and then got uh, a kind of geeky guy on the stage and did a lap dance around this guy squirted cream all over him and then squirted cream out of the breasts all over the audience and pulled a banana or appeared to pull a banana out of uh, his backside. And um, and so similarly with the first uh, UK drag race, the, the first uh, performer who came on, Bag of Chips, uh, came on and said, I'm called Bag of Chips because I love to be covered in daddy's sauce. I'm a right trollop with big knockers. And so, it, you know, I... We we all speak from our own experience. And my experience is that nearly all the drag I've seen has been, I would say, aggressively misogynistic. That's very interesting. I mean, I, and I will say right now that yeah, Jimbo's not the one to talk about with with this because Jimbo is completely <laughs> the other the other end. I personally love Jimbo, um, but yeah, and I know Bagger uh, Bagger well, but. Um, yeah, Jimbo is certainly on the on the other extreme of kind of what I personally do. However, um, there is a very, you know, <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of the kind of what it means, the, the fundamentals of kind of sexualizing and what it means to be um, doing what we do in drag. And one of one of the very interesting parts and this is just this is kind of a point that kind of goes to to the to the base to the root of of these things and ask ask poses a question shall we say um and it has it, for me it has to do with the idea of ownership um you know as as people we we all love to be kind of exclusionary it's i think it's in our blood and it goes right back to kind of tribal instincts it's the us against them type of thing um and it's that, you know, something belongs to me and it doesn't belong to you and you can't do that because it's my intellectual property, that idea, whatever it is. And like you said earlier, femininity is not the same as biology. You know, femininity takes its form in many different ways and in many different, in many different shapes. Um, and, you know, as you said, we, we come in from a culture where as soon as you pop out of the womb, you're designated all different kinds of things at birth. You know, if you're a boy, it's blue. If you're a girl, it's pink. Um, and you've got assigned markers at your gen, 3,000 different assigned markers at your at your birth. Um, but actually, if you look at the crossover where all these things come from, it, it's so varied. And, 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 you know, where did dresses come from? Dresses, you know, you were talking about Louis the 14th and Louis the 16th, like the amount of makeup and wigs and powder and femininity and what we would describe as, as feminine traits and looking like a woman um, is it, it almost apparent with, with that, but it's, it's was originally 
completely misconstrued, completely different um, setting then. You know, heels, high heels were originally menswear. They came from Persian riders. So there's the, the fundamentals of drag, the actual kind of what you wear is so blurred in concepts of in, in throughout history that fundamentally what you wear, I don't know if that can be equated to any kind of genderizing language. What you're saying is maybe the, 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 the embodiment of equating a sexuality or let's say sexual perversion with, with women. If if I'm is that correct in what you were saying, is when you go to um, a drag show you I, see I, that I would I would never use the word perversion. Um, so I'm I'm definitely not saying that. But I think what I'm saying is well, perhaps I can put it this way: if drag involved dressing as a cyborg that was kind of half human, half mechanical, or if it involved dressing as an alien uh, in in high camp costume i can't see any problem with that at all because that is creative self-expression it's adornment it's makeup it's color it's style and all the rest of it i think my concern is that the identity of a woman is already taken and for somebody to come on stage and say oh i'm so slutty i'm so slutty i'm so slutty it is not a neutral identity. What they are doing is appropriating an identity that's already taken, and it's the identity of biological women. And so one of the most interesting uh, consequences of, of me publishing my article is that I've had quite a lot of private messages from women in uh, inclusive liberal churches saying... I don't like drag. I find it quite uh, aggressive or demeaning, but I can't say so publicly because it looks as though I'm letting the side down on being kind of liberal and inclusive. And, And quite a lot of women have got in touch with me to say that. And the other group of people who've got in touch, which I was amazed by, was gay men in London who were saying, uh, we're we're all being kind of rolled into a group together, but I really don't like drag. I don't like the aggressiveness of of drag and so on. So I I found those sets of responses really interesting because it said to me there are lots of people who have a kind of uh, inclusive label and believe very passionately inclusion uh, from, uh, you know, because they're, uh, they're women in inclusive churches or gay men. But there's something about drag that feels for them too transgressive or a step too far in the sense that it seems to be parodying another group of people. And I think, I think, you know, there, there's certainly, uh, like I said, I can't speak for everyone. And you've mentioned a couple of drag artists there before. And in, in, in all good faith, I can't speak for everything, but I can say, speak to the fact that you just said, not lumping everyone in with the same kettle of fish. There are, countless i think you, you may have stumbled upon two that are particularly um sexualizing um for, to a gender stereotype yes um however i will say that that this issue is there regardless of drag um that that 
for for example, my nana, bless her, bless her heart and soul, from Rhode Island in the United States, uh, was of a certain generation. And you'd walk down the road with her, and she would look at another woman dressed up a certain way, dressed up, let's say, more provocatively, more sexualized, anything like that, and she would be outraged at, the, at this. Another, if we're if we're coming from very very rigid stereotypes of womanhood, biological sex, everything that you're talking about, um, then we say that happens within the 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 womanhood, the the female, the all those things. It happens anyways, regardless of drag artists or of of a man partaking in that art form. That still exists. That that us against them camp of saying, this is how I feel. The ownership of my femininity is threatened by the expression of whoever is doing it, whether it be another woman or another man. And therefore I don't, I, I can't partake that. I don't like that. And I get that, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to say to anyone that you need to go out and absolutely love drag. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. Um, for some people, it just will not resonate, and that's that's okay. Um, but if we're, I mean, uh, there's so many side notes that I kind of my my mind is like a bunny trail at the moment, going down all different things. Um, <laughs> we are very much this whole conversation is very much from a. I will be honest. Sounds like a quite um, heteronormative uh, viewpoint on this. Um, there's a whole subsection that we could get into about the LGBTQ community, why it's important for that and why it's important to them. Um, but if we're, if we're sticking with this lane, though, I would say those issues still are there regardless of whether or not drag is in the equation or not. And it comes back to my point of saying that we, we are very, as a human race, we love to be exclusionary. We love to, say about how things affect us and that our ownership of them is the only um, way that it can be observed by the world. Um, you know, there, I know there are people out there, I've had women come up to me before and have been amazed that the sexuality that comes out, the, maybe even the suggestiveness that comes out of a drag performer has been empowering to them. Now, that's probably due to their background. That may be to trauma that's happened in their life. It could be for a myriad of different reasons. But there have been women have, that have said to me personally that the reflection that I give as a presenting female at that time has been empowering to them. And that's just their perspective, whether or not you agree with it or not. Premier Christian Newscast. Christian Newscast. I just wanted to come in, come in on that quickly because I think I've read elsewhere, Elijah, that you said in an interview that that your kind of your own queerness, of which kind of drag is a part of that, and your spirituality are quite closely intertwined. And some people say, well, drag is fine, but let's just not do it in church. But actually, is it fair to say for you it would be kind of problematic if? if kind of your drag persona Barbara was was deemed kind of inappropriate or kind of antithetical to your to your faith life uh well yes I mean let's let's be honest I'm I'm I won't be um 
whipping cream out of my tits on on the altar so that's not you know that's not, that's not what I'll be doing there there is there is a level of respect that that does happen there but mostly not because of any kind of thing that I think anything's inappropriate quote unquote but because with anything that you respect any place that you respect there is a reverence that happens so there's you know those places are are holy to me and therefore um I wouldn't want to do anything that I feel um, it is not in keeping with a level of respect. I, don't, I suppose let's put it that way. Hmm. Right, right. Um, I think a few minutes ago, Elijah wanted to talk about sort of big picture issues, and he talked about heteronormativity and the the, the kind of window that we each look at these issues through. And I think that's right. I think it does come back to some quite big fundamental worldview uh, issues, if you like. And I, I agree completely that there have been a lot of unnecessarily restrictive uh, judgmental guidelines that have been given within the Christian world. Um, I think especially the American Christian world that Elijah has, has come from, <laughs> but we've had our own fair share over here as well. And I think there is a grown-up conversation to be had about which of the restrictions and the, the narrow uh, horizons that, that Christians have often viewed things through need to be reassessed. Uh, but it seems to me there are some boundaries that are givens and are actually helpful. And I think my concern is that in, in the push to question, or, or you might use the word to queer, to, to sort of, if you like, blur or question some of the inherited uh, binaries and models, we actually throw out things that are quite valuable. And I would say there are two boundaries that I would want to hold on to and I think are really important. Uh, One is male and female. And so, as I said before, I would say uh, gender nonconformity within being a male or being a female is absolutely fine. But I think... uh, the blurring of those, I think, is problematic. Uh, but also the boundary between adult and child. And there have been a number of uh, writers that I've read, um, uh, the, the, the phrase that sometimes uses queer pedagogy or, or queer theory, that talk about the idea of childhood innocence as a myth and that even toddlers should be discussing sexuality and should be exposed to more sexualized conversations. And so I think those two boundaries, it seems to me, are there for a reason. Um, And simply to say, well, we're reacting against traditional Christian narrowness. Well, in some areas, let's have that conversation. But it seems to me there are some boundaries that are there for a reason, because they're protective. Any thoughts on that, Elijah, about do, do you see kind of dragon church as a as a kind of queering, as a way of almost kind of cheekily, provocatively questioning orthodoxy and kind of hidebound institutionalism? Uh, that's not, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. That's not what I kind of got from Mike's questions there. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, fair play. If, if you think I misunderstood, no, no, I respond I, to what I, you I, heard. To be honest, I don't know at all. I'm, I'm, um, I challenging things. Yes, or I, I, I hope so. I always think so. I think, I think it's great to challenge things. Um, and even Mike said that at the beginning. You know, let's let's challenge. Let's think about these things. Um, uh, the two. I mean, the 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 gender the 
the biological sex conformity of male and female. I mean, you, I mean, I think agree to disagree because I, you know, I come from a totally different world than that. Um, I understand from a perspective of um, the historic perspective of, of the world that we come from, that that is the viewpoint. Um, I'd say a lot of people are trying to slowly say there may, there may be another way to look at this. Um, I, that's, I think that's a whole different kettle of fish to open up that, that, um, cause you go into issues of trans, um, lives and there's, there's just a million different rabbit trails we could go behind for that one. Um, the other one with, you're right. I think it's uh, important that we keep it on the subject of drag for, for today. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, you know, uh, it's not that I don't want to. I literally can, I like, I would love to talk about. It, but um, the the other let's thing come is... back to the the second question. Mike raises is that of, of children, yeah. and that is something I think that people have questions around. You know, drag queen story hours in in libraries have become a big cultural flashpoint, yeah. particularly in the states. Um, do you think? How, you know, how do you respond? To people who say drag is in, is fundamentally inappropriate for it to be kind of observed well, for, yeah first by, of all i'd say absolutely not that's that's ridiculous i mean the the most people and i've done children's story times as well the the majority of these things are are drag artists that are reading the hungry caterpillar this is nothing this isn't you know some subversive thing there are examples i will say i will precursors pre, pre, to say there are examples of people doing what i would consider inappropriate for, for children. I fully agree with that. that there are, there are examples out there. I think they are very few and far between from, from the amount that goes on there. Um, but that, that I think is also just down to producers to go like asking their artists, what are you doing here? You know, what, what are the things that there needs to be safety put in place for these things? Um, however, the, the majority of people doing story times for kids are, it's very, mundane and and kids don't view this what they do is they come up and they see me sitting there in drag they think a it's a clown you know that's one i i would you know take offense to that but that's absolutely fine if they want to see me as a clown most you know most see them as like a, a fairy princess or something like that there's there's no sexuality that's necessarily tied to that certainly the parents might see that the, you know, people, and when you get older, you may look at that and say, oh, now it raises all kinds of questions on gender and sexuality. But that's part of the beauty of drag is there's a nuance to it. There are so many different levels that it can um, interact with people on. Um, and the the biggest point, the reason why I, I, okay, let me, let me stop right here. There are two, there are two things. One that I want to say is this, I am very happy for you to keep your children away from me. Right. I, <laughs> I don't like, I'm not a child person. I do not care for children. They annoy me. I equate them to pigeons, right? This is, so there's, there's my personal view there, right? The, 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 but the second one is on a more altruistic thing of me trying to defend something is every single person in this life needs a mirror. Every one of us. And we, it's easy to say it's easy coming from even even my privilege of being a white male i have seen representation of a certain degree for myself but what i never saw growing up was someone that maybe had the same outlook on life that i did i never saw someone that looked like me whether that be in my own sexuality whether it be for drag whether it be a myriad of different things i didn't have that 
And one of the things that's strong in the LGBTQ movement at the moment is saying, what we're fighting for is just a mirror. Is someone out there visible for people, for and even for kids to look at and say, you know what, there, there's, there's an alternative to how I feel or how I um, want to be in this world. Uh, and and to see that reflected in someone is very, I think, very important in in a, in the least suggestive way that you can imagine, just in in terms of identity. Yeah, I completely uh, hear what you're saying there. I think my concern is how representative a drag queen is of gay identity. And I think, you know, from from conversations I had with with gay friends, I think there's quite a lot of concern within the the broader gay community about that as well. So I know when I went to, um, uh, when I lived in Manchester, I went to the Pride Parade a couple of times. And I think the thing that surprised me most was the amount of kink and fetish gear that was worn by lots of the performers in that. And there were, there were families there with toddlers and, and preschool children and uh, primary age children. And it was far more um, overt in, in the kind of fetish stuff than I expected. And I think this is the main reason I hear quite a lot of people within the gay community saying, no, there needs to be that boundary. Uh, it's it's like a consenting adults thing in a in a nightclub, but it shouldn't be brought out onto the streets. And and I think a lot of well, I know a lot of gay people are uneasy with drag queen story hour because it's um, you know it's often done with you know the, the, the fishnet tights, the, the the kind of costumes. But I think my um, uh, my own concern is that it's a sort of gateway drug that can lead on to the harder stuff. That that if at the age of eight people are g- being drawn into the world of drag queens, and in my experience that's misogynistic parodies of sexualized women, that doesn't seem to me to be a good gay role model. That seems to be an initiation into something quite different. Uh, and my, uh, when people talk about age-appropriate drag, I think my concern is that it feels like age-appropriate misogyny, and that doesn't feel like a very worthwhile thing. My goodness. I, I, well, I mean, the, to go back to the first um, point there on, you know, people being overtly, let's just say, queer at a pride parade and... Um, and that being seen by younger people. Um, I mean, there there's slightly different things here. The, you know, there's Drag Queen Story Hour, and then there's a Pride Parade. Let's not, you know, we can't really equate the two here. Um, a Pride Parade was originally a protest. Pride, the day of Pride is not necessarily, you know, something it, you're going to be catering to... There, in Pride in London, a couple of years ago, there were 4 million people. That represents 4 million different viewpoints on things. And there will be people walking. I work in Soho. You're talking to a drag queen. I have seen fetish gear. I know what that is. I know that I know the I know the way it's portrayed to people. And I know the interaction it has with those people. And I know also that the majority of what they're doing there, they're around consenting adults. Then that's the way that goes. 
Are they going to wear it at Pride? Absolutely, that's going to happen. Why? Because that's a part of the community. If you don't like that, that's, I mean, I can't say anything to that. That's just what's going to happen. That then comes down to the parent. The parent needs to make that choice of whether or not they're going to take their kids to a Pride parade knowing, you know, we're, we're not naive here, that those are things that you may or may not see. Um, but that is completely different to a child's story hour where the drag artist is going in and going to try and tailor what they do to the appropriate audience. Like an actor, you are, you're tailoring what you're trying to say to the appropriate audience. Now, again, if this goes back to that issue of saying that any drag, like I, I guess what you're saying there is that any drag is inappropriate for kids. Um, I mean, I'd recommend to go to a drag queen story hour, the one that's not, um, you know, maybe not if Jimbo's leading it. Uh, but, you know, it's... Um, you know, I'd, I'd take a cloth, to, a cloth to wipe myself down. If, absolutely, if absolutely. Um, although I don't think Jimbo will be doing a children's story hour anytime soon. Um, <laughs> that's but yeah, it's not, you know, the, 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 um, the, the tropes, the mechanisms that are happening there are not suggested for the most part. I, I fully take the understanding that there have been instances of that. And I would say that's inappropriate as well. Um, but for the majority and for what I do, I'm sitting there in a caftan. Like I said, there's nothing sexual, sexual about when I'm in drag. I, you know, I'm sitting there in a caftan that's floor length with a big hat on it. And I'm just trying to give the kids an imaginative experience for them to have fun. And there's, you know, I don't even talk about anything about identity. Um, you know, gender differences. Although, let me highlight this, I think that would actually be a great thing to do. Because again, for me, it's about that mirror to to, um, to signify that there's there are other things out there. Nothing that they need to maybe get involved with now at the age of eight. But there may be something that they kind of go, oh, you know what? That's, that's made it okay. As a boy who wants to be a boy, even in your terms, a boy who wants to be a boy, but wants to be gender non-conforming, everything that you you've said you're okay with there to see me doing that. I I know I've had personal experience of them coming up and saying, you know, this has been amazing. I, you know, I wanted to wear a, a skirt to school. I never felt I could, but now I know I can, mm. you know, and I've got, I've got a question actually for you, Mike, off the back mm. of that, which is that, you know, thinking theologically, you're, you're the vicar here. You've read, done a lot more reading about this than I have, but theologically <laughs> speaking, you know, we, we worship a God who is, doesn't have a gender. You know, God is neither male nor female. We, yeah. we believe we're told. And yeah. therefore, as you say, Christianity has regrettably got kind of stuck in these fairly narrow interpretations of what it means to be male and female. Is there not potentially helpful to start to use something playful like drag to begin to break us out of our kind of gender binaries and our old kind of slightly outdated way of thinking about the God that we worship and say, actually, maybe it's helpful for us to start to get the language and the imagery about actually gender is more than just boys have short hair and like blue things and girls have long hair and, and like, like pink things. And actually say, as Christians, we need to be moving on beyond that. And maybe drag could be a kind of a gateway drug to your, your words into a way of thinking differently about, about God. I think in any generation, we uh, people who describe themselves as Christians have the task of sort of reimagining what it means to be Christians in that generation. Um, I, I was uh, reading the other day about a wrestling church uh, in Bradford. And so they're wrestling with the issues of what it means to be Christians within the culture of, of wrestling. And I find that really interesting conversation. 
And I think uh, the the conversation about gender and the human body and adornment and, and sex and so on is a really important conversation. I think it needs to be an honest grown-up conversation. And I'm really grateful to Elijah for being willing to take part in this and, and that both of us can be honest and, and say what we think on this. Um, but I think what I'd want to come back to is that for me, I think there are boundaries that are God-given and important. And one is male-female and one is adult and child. And I think we then have a conversation, or I would want to have a conversation, uh, from a starting point of respecting those kind of boundaries. Uh, Perhaps I'll just say very briefly a word about the Bible. Um, There is a verse in Deuteronomy, men shall not wear women's clothing and so on. But to be honest, I don't get very concerned or preoccupied about that because that then opens up all the questions about well why don't we literally apply every other verse in the old testament law which were for ancient israel so so that to be honest that doesn't really worry me too much um i think there is something in the genesis god created the male and female but i don't think that gives us a blueprint for what it means to be male and female for what it you know and i think some narrow christian groups give very uh, prescriptive descriptions of that, and I, and I don't think we can. But I think important for me is the Genesis theme of being made in God's image and something about dignity. And an, Im- an example that I've not used yet, but I, I do want to just throw in here, is that when I was growing up, uh, lots of people, most people, told Irish jokes. There was an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman. And the, the punchline would always be something to do with Irish people are stupid. He's always the one who eats the tortoise thinking it's a meat pie. Or, you know, the message is always Irish people are stupid. And I think my core concern about drag is that whether it's age appropriate or whatever it is, that it's always a parody of women. And the message of drag, no matter how you nuance it, is always women are a bit slutty. And, and I don't think that's a good message to be uh, sharing with, with children and sharing in our churches. And I think that's my core concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I'll, I'll say from here is that um, drag queens are not, and I will say not, and I will say this across the board, across those across the board, I will say for every drag queen on this planet, drag queens are not trying to make fun of women. That, that you know, you, you use that analogy of an Irish joke and the, the Irishman's always the butt of the joke. The women are not the butt of the joke here. Um, in fact, and we were talking, I was talking a little bit about how the LGBT community has a different perspective on this, perhaps. Uh, it's, you will often find with, with let's just say gay men, because I can't speak for everyone who's non-binary and, and, and trans on this issue. However, for gay men, you will often find that women are at the top of the pecking order. They're up here. And that's often because they've had very problematic relationships with men or with father figures or with uh, this. That is not across the board, but that's that sometimes happens. I had a great father. Um, and I do. He's still, he's I'll make it sound like he's dead. He's still here. Um, and, uh, and, and I have a great mother. But gay men have often had more in common with their femininity 
and with motherhood and womanhood than they do with masculinity and the male-dominated world. And that's because we didn't relate to it growing up, right? So oftentimes, drag is, and I've said this in the history of the talk that I do, is oftentimes an homage to women rather than what you're saying, which is the degradation of women. So it's so interesting that, you know, your, your lens is this way, my lens is that way viewing it um what i would say what gives me the authority to say that which is an homage to it is one is i do i do disagree with the fact that you said that like most drag is sexualizing because that's just not the case yes i wear a breastplate which is fake fake boobs but it's always hidden under something quite matronly and dowdy to be fair because i can't be bothered to wear anything form-fitting so it's not <laughs> it's not because i have fake tits that i'm and i'm taking the piss out of tits it's because i'm just representing that that image that that thing that i've created in my head the the but also the very important point that i have spoken on briefly is we we come back to and the church has never been really great at it the you know the issues of sex and sexuality and sexual expression have always i think all of us can agree has been horrifically uh dealt with in the church and within christianity we've made it such a stigma and such an issue that it doesn't need to be and off the back of that femininity feminine power feminine sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of is nothing to be a, a, is a problem it's not a problem to me and so one way of looking at it i understand if some people look at something that's that's overtly sexual and they think oh my god that's making fun of a woman but another way of looking at it is saying that this is there's nothing to be ashamed here there's nothing that is problematic about a woman being curvy about a woman being sexual about a woman being you know uh powerful in in their sexuality um that's just another way of looking at that again i'm not doing that at drag queen story hour however that is you know many things to many people it is an element that is in within drag um hmm. but drag is not tied to being overtly sexual i will argue that point it is not always there well it's it's interesting though i mean i hear what you're saying there but um we're we're having this conversation at a time when one of the uh, trending things on social media is a drag artist called cheryl hole uh obviously a player oh, cheryl, cheryl hole, yeah. cole but um but but the the choice of the name hole is outraging lots and lots of women on social yeah. media the level of, of anger if you look on the BBC website uh, for, for Celebrity MasterChef, I would say probably nine out of ten of the comments are saying this is just not appropriate for mainstream, you know, prime TV. And uh, why the use of a word whole? Well, despite what you've been saying, that seems fully in keeping with the sexualized woman image that is is all i've seen in going to you know uh the clapham grand drag night uh watching rupaul uh you know it, it's all of a piece and and i i completely hear and respect what you're saying but i've and and i maybe i should come and see you see a more frumpy looking drag queen but it ain't what i've seen so far <laughs> 
Um, we're we're running out of time. I I wanted to ask one final question to you, Elijah, which was that, um, you know, you clearly for you, you know, being barber is, is, is something that you do. It's a performance, it's Mm -hmm. work, it's fun, but it's also, it's not incidental to the fact that you're a Christian. Mm, Um, could you, could you share a little bit about how, you know, does, how, how does that work? Does Barbara act as a kind of lens for you to explore your own spirituality, your own faith, to see God or Jesus in a different way? Just, just, a li- just to close a little bit about how those two worlds kind of come together in your own life. Um, I think it's important to say that whatever you do, whatever, you know, you do in your life, um, whatever job it is, whether you see views a job or not, um, is held. You know, it, who we are and what we do are intrinsically linked. Um, you know, we, we, they're forever joined. And for me, drag isn't just what I do. It's not just a job. I do love it because of the things it speaks to and the power that it gives people. Um, and, the, and like I said, for some people, the mirror that it reflects. Um, and so because of that, I think it's important within the church to see the representation of that because church should be where you see every walk of life. Church should be where you see every single shape, ethnicity, creed. Church should be a holding place for all of that. Um, and what I love about the Eucharist or communion, if anyone's not Christian listening to this, is the fact that when you stand there on that altar in that, in that space and you are, as, as one of my vicars says, you're, you're that, the crossroads of time and eternity where every single thing is held on the face of the planet, where who you are and what you do and absolutely everything that you claim to be is held by God. And that that message is severely lacking within the church and has been for generations and I don't doubt will lack in the future. Uh, but it's, it's beyond important to me to show that who you are can be held in the grace of God, um, no, no matter what you claim to be or who you are. Um, and that goes maybe more strongly for the LGBTQ community than uh, than for other people, um, mostly because you know when when we did the the preach event that was hosted in in the church in drag, and we had some nutcake, oh uh, god, some uh, vicar, what was his name, Calvin something, um, who was spouting off about all kinds of nonsense, and he was claiming, oh, this will be the death of the church, this will be you know whatever it is. And all I saw in regards to that was a church full of people that had never been in before, felt welcomed in that space, started to engage with their spirituality in a way they hadn't done before, and started to open that dialogue and that conversation about, oh, hang on, you know what? Maybe I've misunderstood what this Jesus guy is. Maybe I'm able to be here. Maybe I'm allowed to be in a space like this. Just a final brief talk from you, Mark, because we must wrap up after that. Yeah, briefly. I I actually agree with most of what Elijah's just said, that there's something about being ourselves before God, about working out what it means to be a Christian in a rapidly changing world where a lot of ideas and things have, have changed. I think that's right. But I think I'd also want to throw in the word discipleship. And I think something about following Jesus in the world of today means that we each need to look at who we are and our lifestyles and so on. And there will be 
a lot of it is is great. Uh, some things may have a question mark over it, like talking about the, the wrestling church in Bradford. It may be that there are some aspects of wrestling culture that when it comes face to face with the gospel has a question mark over it. And it may be that there are other parts that aren't. And I'm not just saying that about drag. I'm also saying it about stockbrokers. I'm saying it about geography teachers. I'm saying it about mafia hit people or, you know, whoever you are, there's going to be a grown-up conversation about what it means to be a Christian. And I think if we can have that conversation in a grown-up, uh, honest way, the church will be, will be better for it. Well, that seems like an appropriate place to, to draw this conversation to a close. Thanks so much, Mike and Elijah. I'm sure we could talk for many more hours on this really fascinating topic, but I'm really yeah. grateful for you guys sharing your thoughts. So honestly and graciously, um, you can see Elijah at Greenbelt next week if you're going. Look him out there. Uh, uh, Mike, I'll put a link to your blog in the description if people want to read that. Um, but yeah, otherwise, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And uh, I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get each new episode sent automatically to your phone or tablet week by week. If you've got any questions, feedback, or want to suggest a topic we should explore, you can email me at tswyatt at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 